This podcast is brought to you through a partnership between the Tennessee Early Intervention System and the Treatment and Research Institute for Autism Spectrum Disorders, or TRIAD. My name is Amanda Spies. I'm a behavior analyst that works on the early intervention team with TRIAD. Today, I'm joined by Allison Peak from Infant Mental Health. Allison is endorsed as an infant and mental health mentor clinical. Allison received her MSW from the University of Michigan with an emphasis in attachment theory. Upon returning to Tennessee, she's completed two postgraduate certificates in integrated behavioral health and has extensive experience working in pediatric settings to coordinate service providers and promote the recognition of the interplay between physical and social-emotional development. Clinically, Allison works with children and youth with histories of early trauma, primarily children in DCS custody. Allison serves on the board of directors of the Association of Infant Mental Health in Tennessee and is the co-chair of the endorsement committee. Welcome, Allison. I'm glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you guys today. Yes, we are too. You have. I looked at a couple of the um, summaries of what you're talking about today. Uh, could you share a little bit about some of the topics you'll be covering during your discussions? Of course. So I've got three breakouts today, all three focusing on different aspects of infant and early childhood mental health, um, one specifically on how that impacts neurobiology and what we see that early experiences do to the brain and how brain chemistry then can also impact our capacity for engaging in relationship, um, for cueing for needs, and also understanding people's response to us. Um, the second talk today is going to focus on, uh, in infant and early childhood mental health, we discuss the idea of ghosts and angels in the nursery. And so this idea that relationships have an intergenerational pattern that gets transmitted often unknowingly in those really early like points of connection. So we're going to talk a lot about like how that looks and for early intervention providers, what that may show up as or how they may come to understand that they have encountered uh, the ghosts or angels of a family that they're working with. And then this afternoon, we're going to spend some time talking about like foundational concepts of infant mental health as an evidence-based practice. And so what it means to work from a perspective of relational theory and to really meet families where they are and to understand their experience and use that to motivate them to engage in those outcomes that we're after through early intervention. Great, great. So thinking about some of the takeaway points from each since you have three discussions, um, thinking about the ghosts and angels, what are some things that you would highlight for early interventionists as what they may be noticing in the home or in the daycare as ghosts or angels. Absolutely. So ghosts and angels, are, the idea of ghosts was originally identified kind of in the late 70s by a lady named Selma Freiberg, who discussed this idea that there were these unknown, unseen figures that lurked in the early development of children. And we often see in research kind of settings, you'll see it in real life too, but like in very clean, very controlled settings, that Parents will repeat their parenting interactions verbatim. They'll use the same words that their parents used with them when they were children. We also see that specifically with kids who've had chronic conditions or early exposure to medical trauma, um, that they will repeat the things that occurred to them in NICU in play with baby dolls. So they'll attempt to feed baby dolls through their stomach if they've had a Mickey button instead of trying to feed them orally. Because what they know based on their body is that this was how they got food as a small child. And so we see those things pop up, and then that impacts if all of my experiences with caregivers as a new mom have been that people are nasty and tell me my feelings don't matter, that then when I have this little baby and they cry, it's going to be this place of, 
It's not supposed to matter. How do I make it not matter? Mm -hmm. And so really beginning to understand for families what the drivers are for how they engage, what their dynamics are, how they hear things in their own head, what they want and hope for for their children. And so for years, we operated with this understanding that trauma gets transmitted through these ghosts, through this intergenerational pattern. And so then in the like 2000s, there was a funder talking to a researcher at the University of San Francisco, and he said, but if we have all of these ghosts, then surely there must also be angels. And so this idea that then there's this counterbalance between, yes, negative experiences and trauma have an impact on how we develop and who we are, but so do the really positive, genuine pieces of relationship. And so in Angels, we really talk about that it's that defining place of being truly understood for who you are. Mm -hmm. And so we generally all have one or two, not numerous for anyone, whether it be your primary caregiver or a teacher that you had when you were in elementary school, but somebody that you just knew at the end of the day, even when it had been really rough, just loved you for everything that you were and that those people have powerful impact on our ability to show up later in life as adults, regulate ourselves, engage with other people and know that at our core, we are good. That's awesome. I love that. I had a, a talk yesterday where um, one of the speakers said you need one person that's crazy about you in your life to really um, combat some of those aces and to form that resiliency to uh, overcome the aces that they're facing in their life. So that sounds a little bit about like what you're talking about with the angels, and I really like that. Um, thinking about some of the strategies you're going to discuss later on today for early interventionists, what do you think some of the most important strategies for them to share with caregivers or um, implement in the home are, if you had to pick some? I know that could be a loaded question. <laughs> well, um, Ooh, I think it is a loaded question. And so it's this place of choosing, like, what are my top five? Mm -hmm. I'll try to not do five, I promise that. <laughs> um, but a lot of it is, so infant and early childhood mental health has a lot of mantras. Like, we have these things that we ground to. And so one of them being the idea that how you are is as important as what you do. And people always remember the experience of being with somebody much more than they remember the experience of like what you told them or what you asked them to do or what progress was made. But they're going to remember, oh, so-and-so always listened to me and was always excited to see us and always said such nice things and took time to ask about how my day had been. And so part of it is, is how are we showing up as individuals mm -hmm. to be present in the lives of people who have lots of questions and may be very overwhelmed by the challenges ahead for their children or confused about navigating complex systems. Mm -hmm. And so just having somebody who consistently does what they say they're going to do and shows up well is a big deal. Um, one of the other pieces that we really hold on to is the idea of slowing down. And so oftentimes I will tell like clinical students or staff, like nothing is on fire. Like it may feel really urgent in this moment and we can still take a deep breath and sit with it. Mm -hmm. and give it the credence of feeling really urgent. Like not everything requires a solution in the next 30 seconds. Sometimes it's just to sit with the weight of the emotion and acknowledge how difficult it has been. And that place of taking a deep breath is really important. Yeah. Um, probably the third big one as a takeaway is the idea of 
again, one of those mantras being wait, watch, and wonder. Mm-hmm. How do early intervention providers slow down, engage in observation, and then join parents in a place of curiosity about what's going on with their kid? Like, oh, geez, did you see he just picked up that blue ball? I'm curious why he always chooses the blue one. What is it about that? Like, how come he really likes to play over here in the sunshine but doesn't really want to go in his room? Like, Mm -hmm. what does that seem to be about? And allowing parents that opportunity to slow down as well and engage in their own curiosity about what makes my child their own individual and how are they similar and different to other people in the family. And, Mm -hmm. And that's a powerful experience. Those are all really great. I think that that's super important because our society nowadays is so fast-paced. Everything is so instant. Um, Taking time to slow down and be curious. Those are huge strategies that I probably need to reflect in my own practice as well. Um, How do you help parents sometimes that have been through, raised in a certain way, how do you help them reflect back on their past and get to that point where they recognize, oh, I'm parenting this way because these are the experiences that I had um, growing up. Parents always want, always, regardless of the situation, always want what they believe is best for their child. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the way we go about achieving that may not be in the long-term best interest of our children. But at the end of the day, what we want is what we believe is best for them. Um, Whether it be that we believe that they need to know that the world is a big, scary place and that you have to respond quickly. Mm-hmm. Whether what we believe is that um, kids are to be seen and not heard because that's what keeps you safe. And so sometimes those beliefs about how we're to interact with the world may be a little touched by those ghosts we have discussed. Mm-hmm. And still, the core of it is, I want good for you. And so really recognizing that is powerful, that parents don't feel judged, that they Mm -hmm. feel like they can acknowledge, like, the world was a big, scary place for me, and so I don't want my kid to be caught off guard by that. And just putting words to that often Mm -hmm. allows for families to take a step back and drop some of the, like, guardedness that comes around, this is what I believe, this is what's best, this is my child, I'll do what I want to do. And so in that beginning to have a conversation of, Okay, like what you want is for your child to be able to manage themselves in difficult situations. So how do we best give them the skills for that? Is this place of being constantly afraid of strangers really going to give them the best of that? Mm -hmm. Or is there a different solution that still gets what you want for your child? And so we open up that curiosity and say, tell me more about why we're there. I like that. That's powerful. Those reflective questions. Why Why do you feel this way? Why are we here? Why is this important? That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that information about what you're going to be talking about today. Is there anything else additional that you can think of um, to share with any early interventionist that may be listening to this podcast? Thank you guys for having me. First of all, I'm really excited to be with you all today. Um, but really, again, just that place of all of the work and progress comes back to relationship, regardless of if it is ABA services or speech therapy or OT or the developmental therapist. Like it is at the end of the day, all about relationship. It is. Yeah. Working with a very important aspect of the, the parent's life, their child, their, yeah. their baby. So it is that developing that relationship, developing that trust is super important. Thank you so much. I look forward to 
attending some of your talks today. Absolutely.